Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? I hope you're well. Thank you very much, as always, for being here. You will notice that we're back on normal schedule. That's because the Europa League group stages are over. So Friday morning, you've got an Arscast fresh, ready and waiting for you as we head into the final Premier League game of the season until December 26, because we have this unprecedented break in the middle of a season. The World Cup is taking place in Qatar starting later this month. You've seen already the Arsenal players who've been called up, but what that means for our podcast schedule, what that means for podcast content, I'm not entirely sure as ever. We'll play it by ear. Make sure that you've got lots to listen to as always, whether there's football or not, whether there's internationals or not, we'll do our best to keep you entertained over this six-week period. We are playing Wolves uh, tomorrow night. It's going to be a weird one because I am at a wedding on Saturday, so I will not be able to see the game in real time. I won't be able to do all the, you know, all the stuff I do around a game, like the live blog. Don't worry, live blog fans. We do have somebody to cover that for you. We do have somebody to cover all the post-game stuff. I just won't be doing any of it. And you know what? I can't remember like apart from preseason or or something like that, I literally can't remember the last time I missed an Arsenal game. And of course, you know, I will be. I am a, a courteous and respectful guest, appreciative of the fact I've been invited to share in the special day of my two friends who are who are getting married. And despite the fact that, you know, I'm gonna have five G coverage on my phone, I'm not at the dinner going to just leave my phone in front of me and, you know, stream the game. I wouldn't do that, but I am going to have to surreptitiously keep an eye on the scores and and everything else, which is going to be a different way of experiencing an Arsenal game than than usual. So I'm keeping everything crossed that it will be a, a fantastic day, a beautiful day, a day full of love and celebration, and of course, a great day for for my two friends who are getting married as well. Right, let's get on with the show. And in a little while, we will be talking to Amy Lawrence. But first, to talk a little bit about the game on Wednesday night. Not many people saw it because there was there was no TV coverage, no broadcast of it anywhere in the world. So those inside the stadium are the ones who can talk best about it. With me to do that, it's Andrew Allen. Hello, Andrew. Hello there. 
you were one of the privileged few at the game. Uh, the, <laughs> it wasn't on TV anywhere. There wasn't a stream to be found or, or any any kind of coverage at all, bar some uh, little brief highlights that made it out. So 3-1 defeat, I guess, not what Mikel Arteta would have wanted. Um, fan reaction might be slightly different. We'll touch on that in, in a moment. But um, you're overriding thoughts on, on the game before we get into a few specifics. Um, I mean, there's obviously a big drop off in the uh, quality of the team when you replace ten individuals. Mm. Um, they looked a bit rusty. Um, a few of them looked low on confidence. Uh, at the same time, there were some interesting performances. I mean, obviously there was a there was a goal by Eddie Nketiah, which ends a, a mini goal drought for him, and it was really well taken. And uh, Nelson looked good. Uh, I thought comparatively uh, mm. you know we've we've kind of grown to 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 not really know what to expect from him but he he was he was sparky i would say um but yeah no overall i mean i think i think I, my overriding impression was that this was a performance which was um lacking in a lot of areas we looked tired we looked as i said before kind of low in confidence but the, you know the, there was enthusiasm from the crowd i mean it was an absolutely packed house um which can't be, you know, that's not been the case for for a lot of uh, Carabao Cup games over the course of the last five years. So the atmosphere was good. Um, it was the kind of different Carabao Cup crowd, but it was it was supportive. And um, I gen- genuinely thought, you know, we probably should have had enough to to get through the game. But almost from the get go, Brighton were on top of us. Arteta was sort of starting to look a little bit concerned and. Mm. They were finding it very easy to get through midfield. There were uh, spaces behind uh, holding and in the channels. So, you know, there was some good running by by Brighton's players and Welbeck was dropping deep and carrying the ball. Um, They flashed over a couple of efforts really early on and you were thinking, okay, we need to wake up. Mm. Um, And we really, when we took the lead, it was completely against the run of play. You know, we'd been under the cosh for 15 minutes or so. But... You know, Nelson just took the ball by the horns, picked up the ball in the centre of uh, midfield and just, you know, went past a player and then suddenly just burst forward. And it was like something had clicked in him. You know, the version of him that we'd seen as a Premier League 2 player kind of came to the fore. He looked like he wanted the ball and he, mm. when he got the ball, he wanted to go forward and make something happen. And that was really, really interesting because on the other side, Marquinhos was struggling. Vieira in the middle, not great. Uh, Lokonga has this kind of weird ability to kind of almost hide behind players after he's made a pass. Um, so we needed someone to do that, and and Ketia was, you know, finished it off brilliantly. I mean, he'll really, I think he took a lot of confidence from that as well because overall his performance was not bad, given he was working with slim pickings. You you mentioned that Arsenal looked a bit tired. What would you put that down to, given that most of these players really haven't played? a great deal this season. Cedric, Holding, Lakonga. I know they've played a bit in the Europa League, but they're not part of that that really intense weekend efforts that are going on. Eddie, Nelson, Marquinhos, Vieira. I mean, is it is it tiredness as much as a consequence maybe of making that many changes? So 10 changes from the team that beat Chelsea. If you... You know, people have said this, like if you were to put, as we saw, Vieira into the team against Brentford, where he was replacing one man, Martin Odegaard, who couldn't play that day, you know, he's he's capable of playing at that level. But when it's 10 and everyone is maybe in their own way a little bit out to impress because they know chances are, are going to be slim, you know, it's going to take a Carabao Cup game, it's going to take a Europa League group game, etc., etc. I mean, is it more a lack of cohesion between a team that's literally never played together? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, look, when I, uh, when I said tiredness, I mean, I, I, I sense, you know, we always think as fans as tiredness as being the physical output on the pitch. Mm. But a lot of these guys have been part of squads which, you know, have been going game to game every three days. They've been traveling all over Europe. They've been traveling all over the country. They've been on and off planes and buses and all that kind of thing. And mm. I just feel like, you know, yes, they haven't maybe done the, the, the running on the pitch, but they've been part of the squad, the training okay. and all of the kind of everything that goes around it. Definitely a lack of cohesion on the pitch. Um, 
it was very, very clear from the very first goalkeeper, uh, goal kick with with Carl Hine that there was a <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a sort of moment where he went through a process of this goal kick's my responsibility. What am I supposed to do here? He had the ball in his hands, and you know the little skit that Ramsdale and Gabriel and mm. Saliba do, where they kind of park each other on the edge of the six-yard box. One throws it to the other. The ball goes down on the floor. It gets passed back to Carl Hine or mm. Ramsdale, and it was just very, very laboured. Like he was actually kind of processing what he was supposed to do, and immediately that kind of caught on with the rest of them. Everything looked like it needed an extra touch. Everything meant mm. that you know, as soon as you're you're taking a touch rather than doing things first time. Brighton were able to close down the space quicker and that made everything tighter, which made it much harder to, to, to work out of defence and through midfield. I mean, obviously, we've, we've spoken about the, the the brilliant Chelsea move where it, it kind of, we worked it out of defence and it ended up with Martinelli trying to curl the ball to the back post for uh, Gabriel Jesus. And the beauty of that was how one touch that football was. Mm. It was so, so um, smooth. Everybody knew where each other was and just kind of did what, you know, almost like robots. This was the exact opposite. It, um, yeah, it was it was slow and cumbersome. And um, and I think Brighton kind of sensed that, even though they'd made a load of changes as well. They kind of, I think, realised if you get at this Arsenal team and a couple of the guys on the ball are just not really comparable. Like Rob Holding is a nice guy and he's a great backs-of-the-wall defender. A finisher these days, as as James's article was putting it in the Athletic the other day, mm. um, but he's not someone that you want to be passing the ball to ninety percent of the time from your goal kicks and asking him to play into midfield. You know, sure. I mean, this is I, w- I was going to say that to you about about holding is that like as the the overall level of this Arsenal team improves, you see the gaps between you know what you used to have and what you've got now. So players like. Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel, Takahiro Tomiyasu, who are, you know, very good defenders, but also very good footballers. And as the profile of the the team changes for the better, obviously, because we are where we are in in the Premier League, we're top of the league. You have to then sort of reassess what you've got in reserve and your squad options and, and everything else. So Rob Holding, as a guy playing for a... I don't know, mid-table team, uh, a lower mid-table team that's going to be under a lot of pressure, who are going to be parked in their own box. You know, as a, a defender who who sort of relishes that aspect of the game, you can see how there's a, a good role for him as a starter in a team like that. But when your central defenders are so um, crucial to the way that you play in your own box from the back, Pressing it into midfield, as we saw, you mentioned that move against Chelsea. You know, Saliba was involved in that with a, a great first-time pass. With all due respect, not the kind of pass that I would expect to see from from Rob Holding. You know, games like this at least give the manager and Edu and and the recruitment staff and everything else, you know, a good eyes open on on you know how you improve and how you continue to make progress as a team as a squad which then develops and has the kind of depth which would maybe allow you to take a game like this a bit more seriously if that's I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously you know what I mean but personally I am not going to speak for anybody else personally I I don't think the a league cup run would do as much good this season because I don't think we have the depth to go the distance in this competition and all the other competitions. Whereas a team like Man City have won it four years out of the last five. They've got the squad and the depth and the quality to, to if not prioritize the League Cup, but take it really se- seriously along with the FA Cup, along with the Champions League, along with the Premier League. So, um, you know, as you look and, and make plans for the future, games like this can be kind of useful in that regard. Yeah, look, I mean, just going quickly back to to Rob Holding, I think he has massively improved on the ball, but he's still a long way short of where he needs to be. I think, you know, he may be suffered a little bit from the fact that he doesn't get necessarily to play with Thomas Partey in front of him, who is somehow able to kind of, you know, command the ball in those tight spaces in front of the defence in a way that El Nenny doesn't. And Lakonga, when he's played in the... DM role just doesn't seem to kind of, you know, have the confidence to be able to kind of mm. turn and, and and move the ball and progress it. It quite often comes back to the defence, which is, you know, even more of an issue. Um, 
in terms of you know having the capacity as a squad to be able to cope with playing on a fourth front yeah we're not we're not there at the moment um i th- i did also sense though that some of the players because they've not been getting a huge amount of game time and i'm thinking maybe marquinhos and vieira in particular in this instance they looked very conscious of the fact that they had to try and take their opportunity mm. and when things didn't go right it almost played on their mind they didn't have that ability to compartmentalize in game like the occasional ricket like a ball coming off their shin or a bad pass and it it kind of played on them it's like you know the 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 clock is ticking and they have to try and make an impression and um yeah so look i th- i think you know nobody wants to go to the emirates stadium and 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 watch a match where your team loses um but in the grand scheme of things absolutely i think given that this game is supposed to happen like the fourth round game is supposed to happen in the days after the world cup before the west ham game mm. you know do we want that game there i mean it could have been a, seen as a bit of a warm up game we'll probably end up playing an extra friendly i suspect um instead mm. um but yeah, looking further ahead, I mean, our focus has to be on the Europa League. It has to be on the league. We've obviously got the FA Cup thrown in the mix as well. We know the schedule is already going to be crazy. We've got two games we need to fit in additionally with mm. Everton and Man City. So something had to give. As much as I'd love Arsenal to win the quadruple this year, I'm happy with the, the treble. Yeah, I mean, the the fact is that when we come back on the 26th of of um December, when the World Cup is over and, and football starts again, there are potentially, you know, when you bring into account all, all the potential cup ties, 39 games in, you know, between uh, January 26th of December and whatever point in May that the season finishes. Mm. When you consider that that's basically as many games as Arsenal played in the entire of last season in that very condensed period of time, another few games in the League Cup. I don't know that it would do us um, too many favours. So, uh, look, I'm not telling anyone else how to feel about it. I always want Arsenal to win, but there are some defeats where you go, well, that really hurt. And there are other defeats where you think, well, that didn't really hurt that much. And uh, for me, anyway, last night was was one of those. I mean, yeah, I I think there were a couple of other interesting things. One, the fact that Hein got um, called up yesterday was... uh, Yeah, that was interesting, no? Yeah, really interesting. I think, I mean, after the game, Arteta defended it by just saying that he 100% deserved the opportunity. He's his international goalkeeper uh, for for Estonia. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting. I did wonder whether there's a slight concern about Turner's fitness and he wanted to protect himself looking at the World Cup in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, it could be. Could be or, that. Or he told Hein at the very beginning of the season, you're our third choice keeper and you will play that League Cup game because he expected Turner to play all of the Europa League games and obviously the injury, you know, took him out of those two games, but Arteta stuck by his word. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely made a, a, a difference though. It, it brought a level of nervousness to a back line that was a bit disjointed mm. all the same. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and in terms of... I think Vieira, Arteta was very, very defensive in the press conference about Vieira's recent performances, basically suggesting that he has absolutely no concerns about him long term. He pointed to the fact that the player has had no preseason whatsoever and effectively is learning on the job. And while he looked good against Brentford, surrounded by, you know, regular first team players he found it much more difficult surrounded by players who maybe aren't at that same level. So yeah, he needs to, um, he needs to stay in the gym a little bit longer as well. He's, he's, he's taken a few kicks. Um, I think at least four yesterday before the hour mark, and he was starting to get quite frustrated with the referee for the fact that they were going relatively unpunished. Um, but he's going to have to, he's going to have to probably accept that some of that's going to happen and, and, and be able to just kind of get on with it anyway. Um, yeah, there were some there were some positives there. I, I was in, I was really impressed by Nelson for about an hour. All right, just sort of finally, he's a guy who's been part of a number of discussions um, of late because you know we've needed him at times. But Albert Sambi Lakonga, uh, how did you view his performance again? You know, he was playing a bit further forward in this game with Mohamed El Neni in that deeper role. Does that suit him more or? 
did you see enough from him in this performance to say, okay, I understand why that that deep lying six role is a bit more difficult for him, and and here you can see where the the potential might be. Uh, I I would say that in the first half he was he was poor. In the second half he was a bit better at getting into those attacking spaces. I mean he had a couple of efforts, but he kind of shanked his shanked his uh, chances and. I, I just at this point I'm kind of getting to a if he's not a DM and he's not quite a you know a, a, a number eight then then, then what is he? Mm. Um, he has a kind of very languid style, and it um, yeah it, it it doesn't necessarily come across brilliantly in intense games. It almost looks like he's so relaxed that um, you know he's he kind of invites pressure on him. Uh, I just, I, I'm really struggling to, because obviously the club bought him thinking he was going to be a Thomas Party figure, I think. I think they genuinely thought they were going to get someone who could play that DM role. And now, they, you know, Arteta admitted recently that in preseason he started to look quite good in the number eight. So therefore, they were going to try and give him that opportunity. But then obviously, we had injuries to El Nenny and injuries to Party, And mm. he was kind of thrust in there again. And then the side lost that game at Manchester United. And it kind of, you know, put him in the spotlight a little bit, but I just don't. I don't really see him as a kind of dynamic enough player to play in the final third, and I don't see him as being a, a physical enough presence, maybe to to command the area in front of the defence. He's a bit in between. He's a technically astute guy, but he's clearly struggling. I think for for confidence at the moment, and I'm just I'm just not really sure that he's got the trust of Arteta at this point. I fear he's venturing into Tavares territory a little bit. Mm. And um, you know, if you were going to go out and buy a buy someone in January, you'd be looking at someone who might potentially take game time from him. So especially you know, specifically if you were, you know, looking for someone in the in the central midfield role. So um yeah, it's a difficult one. I don't know. I mean he's obviously already expressed his uh, frustration at the the way the first season went and talked about you know talking to his agent and potentially wanting to leave and you know I suspect that come the summer he may well decide that for his own development he might want to go elsewhere um, mm. and if he's already talking like that then we'll probably be having to look further down the road as well so yeah it's an interesting one because I had high hopes for him yeah we'll have to see how that one plays out because you know second half of the season every game is getting um, you know, gains more importance. You're in the knockout stages of Europe. Premier League points are at a premium, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, you never know. Like a player can turn a corner, or a player can take an opportunity as and when they're given it. And like we said earlier, it's not always easy to make definitive judgments on players when they're part of a you know a, a rotation the size of the rotation that we saw for the one on on Wednesday and I'm sure as much as anyone Mikel Arteta will be cognizant of the fact that these players are operating within those sort of confines but well I think he is you know based on what we've seen so far this season it has been a little bit underwhelming from him so we'll have to yeah. see where he goes yeah, I mean, we're 18 months in with him now and it's just more a case of he's a steady player but you've not seen him take a single game by the you know scruff of the neck and command it. Mm. And I think you kind of want to see at least a flash of that at some point to think that person is going to be someone who can grow into that and do that more regularly. Mm. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but he's, um, you know, like I said, he's a technically astute player. Time will tell, I guess. All right, well, look, uh, we've squeezed as much as we can out of a 3-1 defeat to Brighton in the Carabao Cup. Uh, obviously, we've got Wolves coming up at the weekend. We'll look forward to that over on Patreon with our preview podcast with Lewis. For now, though, Andrew, thanks very much, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Catch you soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Andrew. You can find him on Twitter. He is at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport, and doing lots of things over on Arsblog News. Just a quick word to say thank you so much to everybody who has bought a Goodly Morning Mug. We launched them on Monday on the Arscast Extra. I can't quite keep track of how many have been sold because the the back-end reporting at Redbubble, the people that do all the, you know, the packing and the shipping and the distribution and all that kind of stuff, is not great. Nevertheless, I can see that we have sold quite a lot. And given that the profits from these mugs are going to go to two very good causes, um, I think we've raised quite a bit of money so far for Great Ormond Street Hospital in London and Our Ladies Hospital for Sick Children here in Dublin, both of whom do amazing work. And in particular, at this time of the year, when you think about kids and families who are having to experience you know, Christmas, the festive season in a hospital or, or, you know, dealing with all the things that come with that, any bit of help that can be given via the hospitals and their charities, uh, I'm sure will be uh, will be fantastic. So thank you all so much for helping us to uh, to raise money for those two hospitals. Um, you know, when everything dies down and, and all the rest of it, we will announce how much we've raised and how much we've donated, but we will do that uh, in due course. The other thing I should just say is that um, because it is the time of year where, where people are looking for gifts and they're looking, I think, to support small businesses, local businesses who are feeling the crunch and feeling the pinch because of everything that is going on, please remember that we have on Arsblog a directory of businesses and services run by fellow Arsenal fans. There are literally all kinds of things on there, from arts and crafts to memorabilia, printing, teaching, like all kinds of stuff. And you can actually sort by the kind of business that it is, or indeed you can sort by the location so you can find something that's close to you. So if you're looking for Christmas gifts, if you're looking for something, why not check out arsbiz.arsblog.com. That is arsbiz, B-I-Z, dot arsblog.com. And you could help another gooner with their small business and also find something that you're looking for as well. Keep it circular. Keep it going round. You know, let's, um, let's support each other as much as we can. Not just at Christmas all the time, I think, but in particular uh, around this time of year. So check it out, arsbiz.arsblog.com. Right. For a more general look at what's going on, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, as always, it's Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Hello, Andrew. How's things? They're all right. A very simple question for you to start with, right? We have, in the past on this podcast, discussed the concept of the fuck-off win. Hey! (laughs) Was Chelsea on Sunday a fuck-off win in the context of this season and, and where things are going for Arsenal? That's such a good question, and it's probably as close as Arsenal. Well, actually, I think the Chelsea game last year was was maybe closer, 
But I did, I, I had those very words and that very phrase ringing around my head quite <laughs> a lot after the game. And I, I feel guilty that I obviously have such exacting standards when it comes to the definition of it, that I think it's very, very nearly there, but not quite. In the sense, I think this season, given where Arsenal are, given that Chelsea was so bad, um, it feels to me like it might need to be at Man City, Liverpool or Tottenham to really hit the absolute fuck-off win jackpot. I think that was just a shade under. I don't know if there's a sort of a, a, a different cuss that would... I don't know, like the slightly sanitized feck off win, as we might say. Yeah, here. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Think I think you got it. Maybe. I mean, I think what was... Um, I think I'm being harsh? Uh, no, I mean, I know what you mean. I think maybe a goal, another goal or two would certainly have, have put it into the fuck off win car- uh, category. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I was just thinking more along the lines of this being the the overall performance, if not necessarily the result per se. I mean, the three points, three points, brilliant. But the overall performance as sort of a marker for what we're doing this season and where this team is going and how it's progressing and the automatisms that were evident in some of the moves that Arsenal played and the kind of dominance that Mikel Arteta, I think, has always wanted from his teams, but has maybe struggled to to get, um, particularly, you know, maybe away from home in big games. I know we, I know we won uh, at Stamford Bridge last year, but you think to Old Trafford earlier in the season where... You know, yeah. we were really good, but ended up on the the end of a 3-1 defeat, which I don't think was reflective of the performance itself. But I just thought, like, the pieces coming together, the parts of the puzzle, the the lack of square pegs in round holes, if you like, that this as a, as a first 11, maybe a couple of players outside of that, it is forming into something that feels very complete. Yeah, I think also what... I loved about it was the the sense that, you know, clearly nobody's wanting to waste too much energy at the moment thinking about Manchester City because that's not particularly helpful. But the thing about that, the game at Chelsea is I I kind of thought to myself, and I I don't know because I I wouldn't propose to imagine really what a Man City fan or Man City players or Man City people are thinking, but I bet they were slightly niggled by the result. I bet they looked at that and think, can't we just get rid of this pesky ass? They're like a mosquito, like buzzing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get rid of them because we are really, as pace setters, hanging on in there, um, probably longer than most people might have expected. It's, it's still clearly very early in the season and there's a lot more of the race to be run. Um, but I, I think there was a nice message that came out of that Chelsea game in that you would expect that there was a, a slight annoyance from the point of view of Man City that I think they would have liked to have taken the opportunity to, you know, to go in front and stay in front and probably saw Chelsea away as, as one of those places that Arsenal might come unstuck. But the performance was very, um, very full of belief. Mm. You know, you felt that the players weren't getting unnerved by anything. And in many ways, I think that having this um, this great ogre that, that you're up against in the competition does take a bit of pressure off. You think that, yeah, because there's well, such expectation. Yeah, yeah. If you go into that game thinking, oh my God, any slip and we're doomed, then, you know, that can get into a bit of your brain or that can just give you that slight hesitation when you're uh, doing something on the pitch. But I still feel like there's a real sense of sort of um, faith within the team in what they're doing in themselves and in each other. And it feels quite um, quite sort of uh, quite zen-like, bizarrely, I think, within the group. They're giving this impression that they, they, they look quite unflappable at the moment. Which I think is really impressive, and and the longer the season goes on, and the longer Arsenal are able to sustain a position, you know, close to the top, I think the more that gets challenged. The underdog st- uh, status that we have, because I, I think it's and, and will continue to have yeah. for a long time to come, because I don't think that anybody will consider 
this really, really serious in terms of a, a, you know capacity to win the league until mm. you know April, March, April, whatever. Yeah, in a similar position around then. Then let's talk. I mean, and then, then the nerves will really start to, to yeah. kick in. There is a long way to go. Obviously, I mean, there's 24 games, basically two thirds of the season still to go. So the start has been fantastic. Uh, but we know there's, there's a lot more work to do. But I'm I'm sort of curious to explore this line of thought. You know, if Arsenal are the underdog and Man City are this behemoth, this sort of gigantic thing that we all understand where their wealth comes from and their power and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, the, does there come a point where that sort of equalizes out a little bit? Because, you know, we remember the great rivalry with Manchester United mm-hmm. uh, in the 90s and the 2000s where... I don't think it's quite the same, but I think financially there was that sense that United were at a different level from everybody else because at that point they were the first really, weren't they, to sort of leverage the the sort of the marketing aspect of it and, and to sort of generate. Now, to be fair, I'm not comparing City and United because United generated their own money mm-hmm. uh, through everything that they were doing, but it still gave them this kind of financial giant status, which put them a little bit ahead of Arsenal, right? So it kind of always felt like, despite how good we were, it always felt like we were slightly David to the Goliath in, in that sense. Would that gap ever close when it comes to Manchester City because of the way they operate, because of how they're resourced and, and everything else? Gosh, that's that's a pretty vast question. Um, it, it, I, I, I think when Man United had that era of dominance, and you can go even further back and talk about Liverpool's era of dominance prior to that as well in the 70s and 80s, it never felt like those teams were absolutely untouchable. It felt like they had an advantage and it felt like you know that they had a power um, that made them very formidable as a kind of institution, as, mm-hmm. you know, as much as what they did on the pitch. Um, there's something different about this current era I think uh, and it doesn't even just go for Man City obviously I think you're even looking at the strides that Newcastle are making like pretty quickly mm. a little bit of alarm um, from that point of view and it, it it doesn't feel quite like for like I don't think I felt uh, and also when you just look at the markets of the time when you t- talk about that great Arsenal United rivalry the fact that Arsenal were able, in a similar way to how Liverpool have done recently, to just land the golden ticket in terms of personnel, to get the manager who was transformative, to get certain players in who were absolutely stellar world class when you could, you know, when you could get those types of players, um, build around it and construct something absolutely sensational you know to 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 get to have when looking back having Henri Bocamp Vieira <clears throat> excuse me Perez Sol Campbell you know you, you we could go on and on and on mm. in the same team at the same time you know lots of beautiful things have to fall into place for that to happen if you're not the richest and you're not the most powerful and Arsenal did have that edge particularly with the French players that uh, that Arsene delivered in that you know first decade really where another manager might not have been able to bring in an Henri or a Vieira Mm. and look at the difference that they made to Arsenal for 10 years and look at the fact that they were pretty much as good as anyone around in the world in their position for that period of time you know it's and Liverpool to an extent I think were able to get something similar to that with Klopp and with the great players that you know Salah and Marne and Van Dyke and so on and so forth. You know, everything just clicks occasionally in a certain era, a certain club. Now, whether Arsenal under Arteta at the moment are on that vibe, it's still a little early, I would say. Mm. You'd obviously like to think so, but it feels to me like Arsenal are on a really great path towards trying to emulate that kind of achievement. But maybe there's still a little bit more to come to, to be that stellar let's just say, where you can, you know, be delivering 
bit more than the back off wins, so to speak. We're talking about going to Man City and winning away from home, yeah. you know, type of stuff. And what I mean about that phrase that we just discussed at the beginning, I think the real definition of, a, of, a, of that kind of win is in the way that people look at each other. If you go and have one of those slightly underdog away from home performances that makes everybody look at each other and go, Jesus Christ, <laughs> look at us. Look at this. Look at what's going on. Like that, bl- that blows your mind and that you know is the sort of result that is causing major shockwaves globally. That's what I'm talking about. Mm. And I think it's in this team's capabilities to do that. But they've, that's the next step. Yeah. I mean, I think it is. We saw the start of this year, the the game against Man City at home, which... Arsenal, I think, was like the first... Look, we'd played quite well uh, up to that point, but I think that was a game which really gave people a sense that while things weren't complete, there was a real progression there. You know, the way we played, the way we took the game to Man City, and obviously playing for the last half an hour, 35 minutes or 10 men was was not at all helpful, but we still shouldn't have lost that game. But but as a step forward kind of a win, and I, I just thought something about the, you know, the Chelsea game, the way that they, the way that they celebrated that one, don't tell Richard Keyes, obviously, but, you know, the, the, the manager, yeah, exactly. I don't know, some, some guy. Um, the connection, which isn't a new observation to make, the connection between the fans and the players and, and the sense of belief that you speak about, these things aren't necessarily uh, quantifiable, right? We can't measure belief. We can't measure confidence. We can't measure uh, desire and ambition and all those things, but we can definitely see them when they're there. And, it, uh, you know, as each week goes on, Arsenal, you know, have had to respond to Manchester City going above them in the Premier League by going away to Chelsea and going back on top again. Mm-hmm. And like if the game at Chelsea hadn't gone as well as it had, or if we'd had a draw and ended up behind Manchester City, I don't know that too many people would be complaining. Mm-hmm. But I think what this team is showing, um, you know, through maybe a couple of weeks, you know, in October where performances weren't that great, you know, struggled away at Leeds, struggled away at Southampton a little bit. Now Manchester City have gone ahead of you and they've done it in contentious style, I guess, a fairly generous penalty given to the home team in the 90-odd minute, you know, and then the ball squirms under Burned Leno of all people to go in and everything else. It felt a bit fortuitous for Manchester City. And it's one of those where maybe as a team, as a group, you look at it and go, Fuck, what's, you know, this is, this is too hard. The, the inevitability of this is just too much. But they go out, they play that well against Chelsea, and it just sort of adds to those columns of belief and ambition and everything else that, that I think are hugely important, even if we can't measure them as, as well as we might like. I think when you mentioned that Man City home game really strikes a chord because although everyone felt something at that time, it's only really now that you can appreciate that that seems like even more of a kind of marker of what yeah. Arsenal were going to try and turn into, you know. And I'm sure we can all remember after that for some time afterwards thinking about once we kind of <clears throat> you get over the sort of, the burning feeling of coming away from the game with nothing for all the, the monumental efforts. I think it was that sense of like, can Arsenal do that more? Can mm. Arsenal do that again? Can Arsenal do that consistency? And it probably felt like a bit into the distance of that, that would be something for Arsenal to work with. But that to be now, but that to be from the start of the season, I'm still slightly incredulous as to, how quickly Arsenal have taken this quantum leap, I think, from being, you know, a club striving to find itself back where it wants to be, but finding it not that easy, to the a, a, a team and a squad and a club in general that just looks and feels like the real deal, you know? How, how do you... It's amazing. It is amazing. I credit everyone involved with the decision-making at the club. I think it's been a a really special reward for a lot of effort that has been, at times, everybody's been justified to have their doubts along the way. 
um, and they've stayed so resolute in what they think is the way to go. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's pretty impressive for them to have got to this stage like so so fast almost from last season. The the the, the jump has been astronomical. It's about maintaining it, but I do feel I have faith in you know, in the players, in Arteta, in everything in the way that they present themselves, that they're giving themselves the best shot of keeping it going without uh, without getting egotistical, without getting carried away, without getting complacent. The only thing that I that kind of, I think about sometimes is when we were doing the 89 film, and I remember Lee Dixon talking about that time, because there are some similarities in a way, kind of the, this fairly newly put together group that suddenly kind of climbs up several levels and just explodes a bit into a season. And mm. But they're quite young and they're quite, for the most part, inexperienced and get themselves into a fantastic position. And then remember Lee's face almost in the filming when he was talking about when it looked like Arsenal blown it late on. And he was just like, that feeling of the sand running through your fingers. And he was like, Liverpool were, you know, Liverpool were grown-ups and we were just kids and we had it and we threw it away. Like, mm. phew, we didn't know what we were doing. And I just, when you project forward, you just think there will come a point this season, no matter how much Arsenal try and pay attention to every detail to control as much as they can psychologically so that they can best deal with the position that they're in and the the potential that they've got. But there will come a point where it gets more wobbly. Like, I can't see it not. I'd love to think it doesn't. Mm. Fine. <laughs> away we go all the way. But you feel that there will be a moment where they all start to have a bobble. Because it's, it's only natural in normal teams that aren't funded by nation states. Sure. But, I mean, is, is that not then... Does that not tie into like pretty much everything that we've heard from Mikel Arteta in the last 18 months, two years, in the sense that maybe outwardly he's not, um, how would you say this? I mean, I think he is very protective of his players. Mm. Uh, publicly, he very rarely says anything critical about them, but we know internally he is extremely demanding. Um, I think, you know, he's the sort of guy that if the execution isn't quite right, is going to be okay with it as long as the application is there. You know, if they've tried to do what, what he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. But that youth aspect of the squad, when you look at key players like Odegaard, like Saka, like Martinelli, well, 21 years of age, William Saliba, 21 years of age, dealing with the kind of setbacks that come along in a season. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel, personally, I feel like even though I understand the psychological pressure of what they're going to go through at some point, I kind of feel like confident that they're capable of it. You know, I feel like that at 21, they've done a lot already. It's not like they're just 21 year olds coming through. William Saliba is going to go to the world cup with France, but Kyle Saka is going to the world cup with England. Um, Gabriel Martinelli is going to the world cup with Brazil. You know, these are young men who are, you know, potentially going to take a big, big step forward in the next season, two seasons. And it's because of what they've done so far and, and how they've helped us to get to this point anyway. So I think, like I, I like you, I worry about that. I worry about what happens if the confidence goes, the old Arsene Wenger phrase about how you go um, down in the lift and up the stairs, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I, I I don't think you can do what we've done thus far without being able to cope with some measure of, of pressure as it is. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm just sort of wondering really more than anything else, mm. but uh, the the group seem to have such a fantastic collective attitude. Um, and I think it's probably helping all of them along, but I just mean like, I don't mean that individually people are going to lack confidence or, or go or go for a hard time. Sure. I mean, a bad result where you don't expect it, suddenly the pressure's on and it all feels like, mm. like Wimbledon in a derby in 89. Just those things that that wasn't to do with that you didn't have faith in the players to, or, or you know, or their own uh, capacity or attitude. It was just more to do with something 
rough happens, mm. you know, and you still obviously wonder about any kind of, you know, serious absences in, in particular departments of the pitch along the spine that, you know, could be really tough. So, but, you know, we're, we're pondering at the moment things that are, are you know, haven't happened yet, mm. thankfully. And I just, I just really so much enjoy focusing on what this group have achieved to gather the points total in the style and manner that they have and to carry everyone along with them. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really, really been a beautiful few months. I mean, do you think even internally there is a measure of incredulity to to how well this season has gone so far? Incredulity is probably the wrong word because I'm sure there's high ambition and real desire, and you know this is a this is a very well put together first team. Um, the squad, maybe we'll talk about it in in a in a couple of moments, but. Potentially, going into this World Cup break, if Arsenal get a good result against Wolves, I'm assuming that Manchester City will demolish whoever it is that they're going to play this weekend. But if Arsenal get the result against Wolves, they go into this World Cup break at the very top of of the Premier League. No trophy for that, of course. But as a as a point in the season where you're looking, you know, we could be we could be sitting here, Amy, and having this discussion and going, well. You know, we are in six, but we're only three points off fourth, and there's a long way to go in the season and, and everything else. It wouldn't have been that surprising. No, it wouldn't. And yet, look at what has happened. Yeah. I'd love to know, you know, how much Mikel Arteta sensed this possibility when he got the group together in the summer for preseason. Mm. You know, because it has been a hell of a leap. Um, yeah. I can't remember what we were talking about. Well, no, Sorry. we were just talking about where we were and, and where we are. And look, um, it, it's an amazing position to be in. I think one that, that everyone is going to enjoy. Yeah, I think um, I do keep trying to kind of also remind myself that it's in fact brilliant to be able to have these conversations about being at the top of the table. But uh, it's that looking at the table from, you know, Marveling at, at what it ha- what it looks like, but also I keep looking down at the points differential between Arsenal and sort of not <laughs> Man City, but yeah. the others, because that's the thing that I think is hugely significant. And let's not lose sight of the fact that getting back in the Champions League is uh, would be a major goal fulfilled for the season mm-hmm. in any event. And the more that those little gaps can be maintained or extended against the you know chasing pack um that's that's phenomenal because i just feel like you've got to be a bit of a machine just got to get those points in the bag and that's the the beauty of the uh results at places like leeds and southampton after you know difficult schedules and what Mm. have you to be going away from home to difficult games and coming home with all the points it's just getting you know, it's it's plumping yourself up for, you know, possible leaner times. It's a really, really fantastic uh, foundation for this season that has been built. And quite where it goes, nobody knows yet, and it's not worth getting too excited, really. But you just keep looking at it thinking, surely the Champions League, you know, has to happen. And that's going to be a major achievement. And I think when people sit back... Um, go back to the Emirates next year and hear that anthem, it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be a a real moment. It's going to be a bit of a rite of passage. It's been a lot of years. I mean, the other thing that I, I, I would just like to talk about before we talk very quickly about January to finish things off is enjoying the football that we play on our day, you know, in the last few years, you know, we're capable of of playing some good games and producing some good football and all that kind of stuff. But it's fair to say that, you know, compared to some of the best teams we've seen in the past, the football at Arsenal over the last number of years hasn't always been easy to enjoy. And I think the other the other aspect of of this, despite the how great it is to be top of the table, is the way that we play and how much fun it is to see. You wouldn't want to be watching that lot down the road, would you? you well, that's it. That's it. I mean, there's a sort of a style and a panache. And like, Mikel Arteta's had some difficult moments. And I always, 
like in the back of my mind, you know, there was this sort of functionality to the football that he played. And, you know, maybe we can look back on it in hindsight and say, well, this is him putting in place platforms on which to build, you know, the better stuff. But it wasn't always easy to watch. It wasn't always particularly enjoyable. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a uh, like a very talented attacking midfield player. I know when he came to Arsenal, he dropped back and he played as a, a sort of a deep-lying midfield player. But, you know, on his day was a number 10, really exciting player, grew up at Barcelona, played under um, Arsene Wenger, has gone to work for Pep Guardiola. Like, he has to want more from his team. And I think we're seeing that now. And the way that they play, the the technical level is so good. The aggression, the, the, the way that they, like, even on Sunday, the way that they just sort of stifled Chelsea, maybe not the best iteration of Chelsea we've ever seen, but there's a lot to like about being able to do that to opposition and still play the kind of football that you you dream of an Arsenal team playing. Mm, there's an expressiveness now, isn't there? That That's exactly it, yeah. It was, it was just one step too far when uh, Mikel Arteta started off for him to be able to do that and sort of sort out the basic structural, mm. systematic and attitude stuff that needed sorting. Mm. So... Um, I do think back though sometimes to periods where you thought, "What is this? What, 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 what's 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 the plan?" It was quite difficult to detect at time exactly mm-hmm. what what the way he wanted to play was in the, those early days. Definitely, I have this kind of feeling in my uh, mind's eye of like a whole chunk of time where it felt like the only sort of plan was to get the ball up to Kieran Tierney bombing towards the, the you know the opposition touchline for a pullback and when you compare that to yeah. you know the possibility now and that expressiveness that bravery on the ball um that desire to you know to just play a bold uh creative determined winning football um it's you look at the players and you think they've all bought into it big time as well. Mm. That tells you a lot. And uh, front to back of the team, it's hard to pick out anybody who is not kind of a perfect symbol of what this Arsenal team is trying to do. So, you know, based on where we are right now and this break that's coming up and the position that Arsenal are in, and you referenced earlier the sort of decision-making at the club and the way things have been put together, the way things have been built, how do you think they're going to view... January because you know you can make as many plans as you want but obviously what happens in the first part of a season might influence those plans so you know you could be looking at the market and saying my goodness we really need something to try and play catch up here or you could be looking at the market saying well we have a big opportunity here to do something that nobody thought we could do you know, do we do we take that? Is there an opportunity cost in, in not doing something? And, you know, we've seen Europa League games and, uh, and, and certain fringe players perform to a certain level that maybe people might think, okay, if you really want to consolidate your position near the top of the table, there are certain things that you could do to improve. And a football team, there's always improvement. You know, you can't stand still. Um so how do you think internally there's the word of the day anyway this podcast isn't it internally how do you think they how do you think they're going to be looking at, at January based on what's happened until now do you think that will change the way they've been thinking about it or is it a question of they've always had a bit of a plan regardless first of all they were willing to spend quite a few millions late in the summer on uh Douglas Louise. So that would suggest that there is some money around anyway that was available then that you would expect to be available now. Uh, second of all, that pot might be a little bit bigger given uh, the way the club's been going um, and the possibilities. And I think uh, uh, Mikel can be quite convincing uh, at times <laughs> when uh, there's somebody he specifically wants. Uh I reckon Arsenal will be keen to address the two spots that uh, are the most obvious. The more firepower, quote unquote, uh, line from 
the summer, I think, will be revived as a point of interest. And the way of addressing uh, an alternative to Thomas Partey in that hugely specific role has to be taken into account. Um, so that said, I, I, I think what it boils down to is are the players available in January that are going to be the right players? Mm. Simple as that. Because I think when you look at to last January, for example, and letting go of a Bamyang without signing any kind of replacement and preferring to just do nothing mm. rather than any kind of stopgap, any kind of loan or pushing the boat out for something else. You know, Mikel knew he wanted Gabriel Jesus and he didn't want to eat into that budget temporarily. And he took that decision. And the consequence of that maybe was not getting enough goals to get in the Champions League last year. We'll never know. Mm. You've got an example right there of, firstly, how kind of singular-minded I think Arteta is when it comes to the kind of players he wants. And anybody who comes in, I don't think will be a sort of what you would call squad player calibre. I think you're looking at first 11 calibre. Mm. Otherwise, I don't think they'll bother. So it's got to be someone who is able to come in and be... What they want him to be, yeah. Authentically, um, and then you know you also know that they won't. They just. I think he'll stick with what he has rather than get any old Joe. Yeah, the wrong person. Unless well, the big other thing we're dealing with is we're looking at those positions, obviously. But if somebody comes back from the World Cup with a very long injury in a very critical position, then you know mm. you may have to improvise and change your you know your yeah. views. But the club have obviously got lists which change all the time. Every club operates this way. Then they will know who in every position are the kind of profile of people they would like, who might be available, who might not be available, what kind of prices they're going to cost, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's not like a club generally will wake up one day and say, hmm, quite like a a player like this. What can we do? You know, it's all... It's all in there. It's all in on a big database that's ever changing and constantly being updated. Um, but I think if they can secure those two positions with you know with players that are going to excite everybody, then I think that as it is, people probably can't wait for Boxing Day for the next game. <laughs> got a World Cup in front of us, but my God, there's going to be even more excitement to get back to it if. Yeah, if Arsenal managed to strengthen. For sure, for sure. All right, well, look, we'll see what happens. Still a way to go. Um, obviously, there's a good couple of months, more or less, before the, the transfer window opens, or a month and a half anyway. Um, Enjoy the ride, Andrew. That's all we got to do. Enjoy that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, as ever, Amy, thanks very much. Cheers, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Amy. You can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71. And thanks also to Amy's dog for having a massive, massive drink of water in the background there towards the end of that conversation. If you're wondering what that noise was, that's what was going on. But I don't mind. I'm obviously uh, very open to dog interactions on the podcast. It's a it's a dog-friendly podcasting environment around these parts because we have German shepherds barking here. We have French bulldogs snoring with James. We've got Amy's dog um, lapping away in the background there. So it's it's all good. It's all good. And for those of you uh, wondering about Lana and how she's doing, absolutely great. She's about 10 weeks now since the operation. She's out of her crate. She's out walking around and, and everything else um, on her lead the whole time when we're out. But in the garden, she's she's able to sort of rack it around a bit and build up strength in the leg again. So we've got to check up in a couple of weeks and uh, hopefully we get the all clear there and she can get back to being um, completely mental as she was before she had the operation. Fingers crossed for that one. Right. I'm going to leave it there. We will have a Wolves preview podcast for you tomorrow over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash 
Arsblog. Lewis and I will discuss that game and more, so you can join us for that. James and I will have the Arscast Extra for you on Sunday evening, so we'll have it nice and early for you. Fingers crossed it is a goodly Sunday evening and that Arsenal go into this World Cup break top of the table, which is where we deserve to be and where I hope we will stay. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you, as always, for being here. If you want to give us a review, that would be fantastic. Wherever you do podcast reviews these days, I'm not quite sure. I think you can do them in the apps and stuff as well. So Apple Podcasts, um, all the usual places. James and I will be here on Sunday, as I said. In the meantime, have a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Now on the line to talk about his call-up to the England World Cup squad for the World Cup, it is Ben White. Ben, you must be so excited. Just buzzing. Buzzing indeed, Ben, like a bee doing what bees do, whatever that is. (laughs) But in seriousness, Ben, would you say that this is a, a very proud moment for you and your family and everybody who knows you? Um, yeah, I suppose so. And if you could specify one thing about the World Cup that that makes you excited, what would that be? I think it's everything. England's chances for this World Cup, would you say the atmosphere inside the England camp is better now than it ever has been? Yeah, it's, it's always been good. Some other big, important names from the Premier League in that England squad with you? Yeah, to be fair, I didn't really notice. <laughs> uh, finally, Ben, can England do it? Can they repeat the heroics of 1966? Jeff Hurst, Jack Charlton, Bobby Charlton, Steve Charlton. Can England win the World Cup? We'll see. There's a reason they call him the interviewer's dream. Ben White heading to the World Cup. 